TTYA Talks, the podcast. Welcome to another episode of TTYA Talks. Um, I started this platform as a way to be able to connect with successful and pioneering women um, across the creative industries and sport. So on today's episode, we're going to get into creative comms. And when I say comms, that's short for communication, um, strategy and marketing with the lead PR and marketing for Supreme, Zainab Jamar. Welcome, Zainab. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today and I'm kind of excited to really get into it with you because I think the word strategy and marketing and comms kind of just gets pushed in all together so it would be really great today to kind of go through it and get a really clear understanding. So like I say every week with every guest, let's start at the beginning, yeah? Let's get into it. You were born and bred in Pimlico. Tell us about your family heritage and where you were brought up, your school, education, uni. Well, first of all, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so as Irene said, I grew up in Pimlico, which is SW1, just by the river. And I went to school in Pimlico, Pimlico School, and I live in Pimlico now. Um, my family background is Somali. Um, so me and my siblings are like first generation, if you will. My parents came over here. My mom came over here, in fact, when she was 18, pretty young. And at school, yep, yeah, I went to Pimlico Secondary School and I did my A-levels there as well. So I didn't go to college. And from A-level, I went straight to university. I took that, that, that sort of direct route. But again, I'm sure as you experience, Irene, when you go to uni and when you're applying through UCAS and all of that kind of nonsense. Oh my God, UCAS. UCAS. Gosh, memories. <laughs> There's only a certain amount of, you know, options that are given to you by the, what were they even called again? Career counsellors or career... Career councils, yes. Those bogus blockheads yeah. that told me that I wasn't going to get any any grades. Don't mind them. They saw the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I studied media, politics and IT, I think I ended up doing. And with those, I kind of um, was only applying for like very sort of traditional courses. So like sociology, psychology, all that kind of nonsense there. And so the things I ended up applying for was a fashion journalism course. So I was always into magazines. That's what I used to read much more than books when I was younger. That's where I kind of like fell in love with fashion and music and all those things so while everyone else was like reading whatever books were going on I'd walk into like the was it common room or whatever with like the face magazine and ID and like that was kind of like the end of the face's first iteration where they had like Pharrell on the cover and all those kind of ones um but anyway back to the UCAS thing when I applied I applied for criminology and anthropology and then I applied for fashion journalism and I managed to get in but the career counsellor didn't sort of think I would get into that at all and kind of advise me against it. So by hook or crook, I kind of made it happen. So you did your degree in fashion journalism yeah. at London College of Fashion, right? Yes. And then your first job was kind of like at the desk of ID Magazine as editorial assistant. How did you go about applying for this role? And was there elements of your degree that really helped you f- like kind of pivot you into the direction of going for that job at ID? Um, so London College of Fashion is where I studied for my degree in journalism. And in the very first year, we were told to go to a show at London Fashion Week and essentially to blag our way in. And for That her, was part of your course? That was Blagging? The, that was the first task on our course of that That's year. That's so mad. First week. Because I guess the test that she explained to us afterwards was as journalists or if you want to be in the fashion industry, you have to be able to talk your way into things. So I guess that's where communication comes in. It's like learning to like speech it and blag it. And, you know, when you're going out young raving, you kind of learn that from young anyway, when you're getting like a fake ID and you're pretending, you know, and me and you are pretty tall. So we kind of got away with a lot of other stuff and like, more Agreed. Time, like blagging my friends in, do you know what I mean? And being like, no, we're all the same age, whatever. So that was like the first thing. And so the course was really hands-on in that respect. We had to go and do work experience in that first term as well. And there was no help. It was like to go and speak to magazines, go and speak to stylists, go and speak to whatever area you're interested in fashion and learn. So like from the course, I really learned a lot of sort of fundamentals about having to put the work in essentially at a really early stage and really just trying to use your voice as much as possible, whether that's telling stories, 
whether that's trying to get an internship, whether that's just asking questions is the big, big takeaway that I learned from uni was asking questions if you don't know at all times. And, you know, in my second year is when you specialized. The course was split into broadcasting, PR and marketing, I think it was. And I chose and journalism. And so I chose journalism. And the first year of the journalism course, which is like year two of three, um, the tutor that we had walked in and was like, oh, you know, I graduated from Central St. Martins and my first job was at Elle magazine as an editor. And we were all shook. We were just like, this sounds like one in a million. Do you know what I mean? There's 60 of us sitting here. How many people can actually get a job at Elle magazine? So even just hearing that perspective was really daunting, to be honest with you. And I just thought, I don't know anybody in this industry. Like all I have under my belt is this like three week work experience at Vice magazine which is like the first place that I interned. And then I started working with like a menswear stylist. But how I got to ID was our final major for journalism was to create a magazine. So find a niche, or, you know, find a niche market, write a magazine about it, research it, fashion shoots, news pieces, basically flexing all of the stuff that we learned on the course was supposed to be in this magazine. And my magazine was about streetwear at that time, which wasn't called streetwear at that time. Which makes so much sense to me now. <laughs> Knowing you makes so much sense to me. So it, was, so it was all about like, you know, trainers and jeans and Japanese streetwear and Americana and all that kind of thing. And Stussy and Supreme and all those kind of things that have become like really big over the last like, you know, 15 years now, I'd say. And I basically used that to get my foot in at the door. So as soon as I sort of graduated, I sort of emailed loads of different people. And I found at that time, you could just find email addresses like in the magazines. Every editor's email address would be like on the bottom. So I just used to use the masterhead to get all these details from people. And I remember emailing the editor at ID at the time, just being like, hi, I love ID. Can I come and intern? Blah, blah. And thankfully, especially after working with him, it was maybe a fluke that he caught the email and like saw it and replied, asked me to come in. And then that was my first internship, I guess, at ID, where I was like, this is somewhere that I really want to work. And at that time, unless you were interning for free, it wasn't, you know, paid, you weren't kind of getting in anywhere unless you knew someone. And like I said, I didn't know anyone at that time. So I took that opportunity with both hands. I was working at Topshop two days a week <laughs> on the weekend. So I was working like seven days a week for six months before I got the opportunity to apply for the editorial assistant role and that only because my deputy editor at the time left and eventually when I left ID after being there for like three years it was because there wasn't really an opportunity to move up. Yeah the magazine world is quite a tough one and they do say that it's just like unless someone leaves the positions are usually quite stagnant. Mm. What would you say were some of the skills that you learned from your role at ID and how have you implemented these into your work today? So the things that I learned about ID was really just how a magazine works. It's sort of like definitely the business side and the mechanics. So I learned a lot about publishing. I learned a lot about advertising and how basically advertising pays for the whole magazine. And building relationships was a really big thing that I learned at ID because if you don't have good relationships with your subjects, if you're interviewing, for example, if you're not having a good rapport with them, you can't speak to loads of different people from loads of different backgrounds, then you can't really work in that environment as an editor or, you know, on an editorial position because you're essentially you're telling stories. So you need to have some sort of, you know, empathy and compassion and understanding. But the mechanics of the magazine is what I really learned. I learned about, yeah, publishing, advertising, art direction, designing, you know, even the managing direct editor at the time, because we all worked on one floor, there was 20 people. I even managed to speak to the financial guys that used to sit behind us. So I learned about how to invoice I don't know what it was when they were asking me to invoice for like expenses and travel. I was like, how do I even write an invoice? And so they taught me that. And again, it's about that thing that I learned at uni, which is about asking questions. If you don't know, at ID, I learned how to also, I learned a lot more about the fashion industry. I learned how you can call clothes in, you know, as a young one, I thought everybody was spending thousands and thousands of pounds all the time buying these designer goods from head to toe when really, fashion editors and a lot of editors and a lot of people in the, in the industry lend designers lend all the time and at that time it wasn't called influencing do you know what I mean you were there that stuff wasn't influencing it was literally just an exchange it was seen to be seen it was you know I see my editors like running down to the fashion closet before fashion week and changing into like you know whatever was in that season they didn't own these things 
And so it, I learned about the fantasy as well. You know, I learned really early on that a lot of the industry is about fantasy and not reality across the board. I was always, like I said, I was always into trainers and maybe I was a bit of a tomboy or whatever. And so even when I was going to fashion shows at that time, I would have to change into boots because, you know, streetwear and trainers and baggy clothes and like non-fitted items were just not the look. Do you know what mm. I mean? So it's interesting now though how culturally um magazine has really shifted but we'll get we'll get into that a little bit later um kind of since you left ID you've gone on to work um for brands such as Supreme to Louis Vuitton to Google to Converse Nike Calvin Klein the Face magazine come on we're gonna give Zainab accolades um and your bio states that you know your presence is kind of ingrained in the spirit of youth culture and community on a global scale. How is that so? And what interests you in working with, with those array of brands that I've just mentioned? Well, I guess for me, I mean, when I, I when I was at ID, the section that I worked in was the back section when I became a sort of editor. And so that was the sort of like, quote unquote, culture section. So it was books, magazines, it was music. It was, you know, film. It was all those kind of things there. And so all of that really comes from community. And that was the stuff that I was into, you know, as it, you know, I was into all of this stuff kind of young, if you will. You know, I'm, I'm the third of like four siblings. So I've always been the younger, if you will. So for me, it was always interesting to tell stories about me and my peers and what my people are up to. And as I kind of got older, I realized those kids and that community still need a voice. So for me, it's also about giving back. And telling stories that people don't know. Do you know what I mean? And trying to spotlight on people that wouldn't necessarily get that, essentially. So that's why I kind of stay in that world, if you will. And also just to give them a leg up. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you share a similar thing where we like to be a bit of a Robin Hood, if you will. Like take from these big brands and put them somewhere else and like give back to the community and like try and work in that sort of vein. And, you know, again, just narrative has been the thing that's followed me through in my career, like telling these stories and like communicating them and making sure that, you know, we're not always coming from one angle. I've kind of always been an outsider just by proxy. Do you know what I mean? I don't come from a privileged background. I don't come from a world where any of my family have worked in it before. So I've always been on the outside looking in, which has always given me a great perspective, in my opinion. I don't think it's a downside. I think it's actually been a really great thing. Yeah, because I say that all the time because it's just like it's always and if having your foot to the ground just means that you're just 100% authentic. And the great thing is now is that black culture is popular culture. So for a lot of us who have kind of, like you said earlier, been on the outskirts, actually now our knowledge is what's paying our bills. You know, our knowledge of being on the outskirts looking in is now desirable, you know. So I think it's really important to kind of break down the specifics. So for those that might be kind of unfamiliar, can you explain what is a strategy and how is it implemented into your work, into you working with some of those big brands and what makes it, what makes a successful marketing strategy? Well, the thing about strategy and marketing and advertising and all these things, there were things that I felt like I kind of picked up along the way because I didn't really know what these terms were. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was sitting there writing advertorials for ID and sort of laying out what this advertorial will look like. So casting, who would be good for it, what the story is, the, you know, pulling a team together from production and art direction and photographers and all of that kind of thing. That essentially, pulling all those different pieces together and all those elements, that's what makes up a strategy, as well as explaining what it is. So, for example, a big one that I worked on not long ago, maybe like actually when it is long ago, like three years ago, was the 10 that we, that, you know, you, you came to come and see and we'll part of. So break down for those who are listening who might not know what the 10 was, break it down. Project that I did with Nike with Virgil Abloh, where he took these 10 famous silhouettes from Nike, repurposed them, gave them new life and basically imploded Virgil into become like this massive um, superstar and kind of like, you know, really brought, I guess, streetwear and sneakers and the whole sort of like community that comes with it to the to the front if you will mm-hmm. and originally with nike i was kind of working on a different sort of strategy with them um with the community and like working with 1948 which was one of their outposts in london which has always kind of been their sort of space to connect with the community and that's in east london and so 
as that sort of evolved, this project with Virgil came along and they kind of like took that and like formulated it into what became the 10, which was, you know, a celebration of these 10 iconic shoes, but also where they came from. So there were like, you know, workshops of all these different people involved from Kim Jones, who has recently done that Air Jordan Dior One Madness that's going on right mm-hmm. now. Um, it was different artists like Eddie Peake. It was designers like Grace Wells Bonner and Martine Rose and sort of bringing like, I guess, from a London standpoint, the people that are really the movers and shakers on the underground level that, you know, eventually have become on and will go on to be, be these big household names. It was about sort of like bridging that gap. But the strategy for that was, yeah, essentially the idea is these 10 things, the, the product, which is the shoes and Virgil, how do we build a story around that? And the story around that, like I mentioned, was the community aspect. So then from that, we created this idea of workshops, of mentors, of mentees, which is when we did like an outreach to the community. Anyone could apply between the ages of 18 to 30. As long as they can make it down to the space, they could be involved. Um, you know, building a schedule, the after party um, runs, do you know what I mean? And all of that, all of those sort of different elements is what you write down in a strategy to sort of explain and hand over to a company and sort of break it down to them about how they can implement this based on what their original narrative and story is. And in that case, just for explanation purposes was the 10. Done that for like, you know, when I was working on deviation, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to, you know, we did that as well when we were working with different brands is like, you know, we did a whole thing with Stussy for our residency thing. And that was basically celebrating, you know, 10, you know, 10 years of doing the club and like 10 years of having something successful and like, you know, just shining a light on the moment essentially. So just um, in terms of like digital campaigns, because there's a massive shift to online now, um, how does this change and affect the way that brands are kind of communicated? Because obviously you've just talked about the tens and Nike, obviously that was quite a, um, that was like a person to person, more of like a community initiative. With there being a massive shift to online, especially now we can see with the, uh, the post effects of like COVID and a lot of um, campaigns switch into digital. Um, how do you think that this will change and affect the way that brands should and can be communicating in the future? Well, I think um, this sort of shift to digital was inevitable. And I feel like all the sort of like, you know, magazines and publications and like sort of online entities that sort of embrace this move and like, you know, utilise social media in the beginning have been the ones that have really flourished. You know, for me, I think you kind of treat online the same that you would traditional press do you know what i mean i've always think both are important both reach different audiences sometimes you can get a wider audience online once you're talking about implementing something on a publication implementing on instagram and then you know sharing sharing you know the sharing aspect of all of those things you get a wide much wider reach than you would from the old sort of model of just having like this one magazine with a readership and like estimated numbers you know numbers have become such a big thing now that to quantify them they're all there do you know what I mean so Instagram has become a really big tool for a lot of brands you know but I've always been very cautious about putting things into an entity that is a third party situation so to have your own website is super important always like the more content that you can provide from you that you can share across platform is much more beneficial than like, you know, maybe selling a story to one publication. But again, the narrative aspect is something that people really buy into. As you were saying earlier about authenticity, that's what people really buy into. And again, the only way you can do that is by telling authentic stories, by using these models. You know, right now we're going through a digital fashion week. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure what the numbers are going to look like, but you have to adapt. You have to evolve or be extinct, as we always say. So... I think the the move to online and just like using these different platforms is nothing but beneficial to be honest with you. And the more innovative, the better. Yeah, because the kind of like the, I wanted to kind of touch on some of like the five marketing concepts. I know there's like production concepts, um, product concepts, selling concept, marketing concept, and kind of societal marketing concept. Do you feel like, it's 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 going to be necessary moving forward to it to have all of those entities or do you feel like now it's kind of going to be like a looking at trends and seeing what's going to be adaptable to your business well i think i think with this sort of like raised consciousness if you will that's kind of like come about during the quarantine and covid i think all those elements are really going to have to be taken into account now. I think people are going to have to really think super hard about what they're putting out there. Mistakes are not going to be tolerated. Straight up, like going, Agreed. Forward, like you know, 
all these mistakes that we've seen from the, in the past from these like luxury fashion bands and even you know not luxury fashion bands we can't make those mistakes anymore like too much has been said now too many questions have been raised and you know a lot of these brands have made a lot of um big statements and big promises that they now are going to have to fulfill so to be in tune with your consumer is the most important thing right now developing that narrative developing trust developing you know just a better communication with them is what all these brands and i think likewise even magazines and stuff are going to have to really do authenticity is everything right now so any sort of bullshit that anyone's mm. is just not going to happen and so what i'd say to these brands is if you don't know ask someone that does isn't that simple mm. if you're worried about maybe this doesn't look right or if you want to get a, an answer for a third party there's plenty of people that are out there now that can answer those questions for you that don't always have to be your friend <laughs> so i want to kind of get into like your day-to-day currently you're leading the pr and marketing for supreme so for anyone who doesn't know who or what supreme is i don't know what rock you've been sleeping honda but <laughs> they're a skateboarding um brand and company which was established in new york um and they kind of really were pioneering in kind of encapsulating and uniting skateboarding and hip-hop culture as well as youth culture in general so you know how did your partnership with supreme come together um what does your work for them kind of entail on a day-to-day basis at supreme i head up the marketing and pr especially for europe at the territory um all the sort of like main publications especially for fashion which is the sort of bridge that i came in to build seven years ago is what we've kind of gone into so that's sort of speaking with these vogues and you know speaking with that definitely sort of like higher-end luxury brands and like self-service and a lot of these biannual magazines and basically explaining to them what Supreme is. And, you know, at that time it was very much rooted in people only knew us as a skateboard brand and not for the quality of our clothing and not for the sort of narrative behind it and like our community work, like you were saying, and the kids and the skaters and all that kind of thing. So it was about me pushing and explaining the narrative of what Supreme is. That was like my first sort of objective in the job. And like over time, that came through by doing events, by doing special projects, by doing books, by doing collaborations with all these different people. In terms of my day-to-day, I speak with my team about samples, about editorials, about who we'd like to work with for future collaborations, about who we'd like to work with with photographers and um, talent and all those things. And for me, I find that really fulfilling. I, I really enjoy being across the board and not focusing on just one area. Um, obviously I have my job to do, which is like, you know, the PR and the marketing and like the comms, you know, when special projects come through, it's my job to sort of make sure that the wider world know about it. Um, and, you know, opening stores and stuff like that has just been amazing. Do you know what I mean? Just learning so much on this job and like using all the other skills that I do on the outside as well to implement it into one role has been pretty fulfilling now I think about it. Yeah, because I, I, I want to home in again on that kind of sense of community because I know that a lot of Supreme's kind of business structure has been built on collaboration. And I think a lot of people always ask me with TTYA, you know, and why did you work with that person or why did those brands um, work together? Um, kind of give us a little bit background on why brands collaborate with each other and what's kind of some of the benefits of collaborations. Yeah. Well, look, yeah, well, across my sort of like, I guess, career, there's been, that's, I mean, the birth of collaboration happened like years ago, to be honest with you. It was much more subtly done than it is now, I guess. So it was more like friends and family collaborating with each other. Do you know what I mean? So like, again, if we take it back to the sneaker sort of culture in the early 2000s and like mid 2000s, I guess when I was around, um, that era was very much, you know, the people that worked at Nike working with artists and communities in their field and all those things when it started getting bigger in London with like foot patrol and all that kind of thing but the collaborations on a wider scale the reason why they work in general not just for Supreme but generally is because it's the meeting of two minds do you know what I mean like two minds are better than one right now we're saying three minds are better than one because you always use a third, a third party when it comes to me personally I say three minds are better than one but two minds are better than one because you can use the strengths from both companies and both entities and both products or whatever it is that you're working on to hone in on something to create something really special that hasn't been done before 
you know, people say that collaborations are over, but really there's always more to be done, to be honest with you. There's this Nigo and Virgil one that's just come out, which people are just going mad for because it's like some OG bathing ape stuff from the 1990s, you know what I mean? And so there's always going to be a hunger for the right collaboration, I'd say. So I'm going to touch back on Deviation. I know you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, Deviation was one of London's most successful club nights. That there's so many of us that met on the dance floor um, and... I really wanted to kind of get into how your comm skills helped you with this role because I know like music and fashion at this moment of time kind of work hand in hand with each other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, deviation was a wonderful time in life, definitely. I mean, I was doing that for about what six or seven years. And like you said, so many people just met on that dance floor and everything else. And when I started doing deviations, when I first went freelance kind of after I left ID and it kind of started off with me just sort of like helping out so that was like working with the talent that was booked for the club or doing like being there for sound checks and like more sort of like admin stuff. And then as it sort of evolved, I guess you'd say I was the manager of the brand, if you will. So that was working on collaborations, like we were saying earlier. So this like Stussy one that we worked with on for our residency that we did at XOYO for 12 weeks. I also kind of worked, I guess, as an agent when I was like booking all the talent for the club and like picking that out. And so part of it was amazing because I got to book so many heroes, but I also got to book my friends. So it was the perfect balance of like, you know, bringing everything, all my little worlds together, essentially. And what you said about comms and how that came in, that sort of started off with like, you know, doing a mailing list, you know, really adopting social media when that came about and just like changing the way that you sort of like promote club nights, you know, in that time. So where you wouldn't have, you know, anything online, apart from maybe a flyer on a blog when, you know, Facebook, for example, started doing events and events pages, that was super beneficial, just inviting your different friends and like seeing people enjoy that. And then also same on Instagram, when that sort of became, when that sort of came about, that's when you can start doing adverts that, you know, you could be easy to sell tickets. You could also do video and audio. And so just having that element to really sort of capture the essence of the club night was really, really important. And also just like keeping people involved in what's going on. And so like carnival became like a big flagship for us, like lots of carnival after parties every year. And many, so- many a carnival after parties is. So many, and like you know, just even things like booking EZ when you know at that time he was only really playing those big like warehouse raves. Do you know what I mean? Or like big clubs in South London, or like you know all those kind of like raves there. You know, bringing him into that sort of like just crossing that thing and bringing that over. I guess that's what deviation is all about. Do you know what I mean? It's like bringing two worlds together at all times. You know, bringing a new talent in along with someone who's. I guess, you know, historical, if you will, do you know what I mean? Like a hero. And yeah, deviation was all about community. It was nothing without the people that were there. That's the most important thing. And so you have to always make them feel like they're part of it. So do you miss working on club nights now? And how do you expand your, and how do you kind of expand your network without the clubs now? Well, I have to admit, like, after I stopped doing deviation, I kind of stopped going out for like a year. So. <laughs> you were um, burnt out. There was no, there was no gist that you hadn't entered. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was done. And like, you know, if you've been like raving from about, you know, 15, 16, and now you're 30, that's like a long time in the club. And so I kind of definitely lost a bit of love for a while. But, you know, the club is something that I mean, I miss it now so much more now in quarantine. But, you know, the club's a very sort of like spiritual place. It's a very community place for me. Like, it's somewhere that I've always felt super comfortable and like not insecure and like you know can just be yourself and like be with your people and it's always a good time but I don't actually miss working on the club nights to be honest with you not at that, not at that frequency that we were doing at the time like two a month or whatever it's a lot but there's so many amazing new club nights like going on in London that have you know that were going on before the quarantine there's a whole new generation of kids that are like out here just putting parties on by hook or by crook so it's nice to sort of see it from the outside rather than being part of it so much. And like, I'm here to help anyone. Do you know what I mean? If anyone ever needs any sort of assistance, I'm always like lending my hand or like putting people mm. in touch with me. And like, you know, that sort of thing in the background, if I can, is where I like to help out. I want to kind of get into some of like, like you said, evolving and some skills and advice. Because on this podcast, you know, we're not just here to just be storytelling. I want to really get into gist as well. And like, we, I wanted this platform, started this platform as a way to kind of like give the next generation the opportunity to see a bit of the behind the scenes. Because a lot of the time they don't know what really what goes into comms or marketing or even some of the other topics that we've been able to touch upon on this podcast. So I really wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit here and get some of your expertise 
Yeah. So a lot of the questions that I get asked some of the time is how can you kind of grow your network organically? You know, because a lot of people, I've, I'm very keen on saying, to, especially when I've been asked to talk at like events, people always say to me, oh, like, I feel like I've got to go to networking events. And I'm always just a bit like, sis, actually, maybe you should think about more close to home first. What advice could you give on like amplifying and growing your, your network organically? Well, to your first point, definitely like start at home. So like speak to your find out what they're up to, find out what they're working on. Because I don't feel like it was till I started having those conversations about, you know, outside of the gist, you know, talking about career and life and stuff that you really find out what people are into. And that can kind of be your first base. But also just don't be scared of going places on your own. And from that, you very much, you know, organically get to meet people because then you're meeting like-minded people. And again, your friends might not be like-minded when it comes to stuff that you're interested in outside of your friendship. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're into art or if you're into a certain kind of music or where, you know, when I was going to techno raves, it was kind of difficult to get my friends to go with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, so going on my own, I kind of like got to meet like different people. Um not being afraid of speaking to people and just do a lot of research. I mean, I, I met a lot of people just by like researching them. Do you know what I mean? Like finding out who they are and what they're up to and like knowing what there is to speak about when you do come across them. That's always been like super helpful, I found. And then culturally, we've kind of seen like a massive alignment. We did touch on this a little bit earlier within music and fashion. What brands, just for example purposes, what brands do you think have really used this well? And is there any campaign examples that you can think of that come to mind? There's loads of campaign examples, but the one that instantly came to my mind was, I guess, Kenzo. Kenzo, up until quite recently, blended that sort of fashion and music thing very beautifully. At their last show, they had Solange and she performed a completely brand new sort of acoustic version in this like incredible hall. Do you know what I mean? It was absolutely beautiful. And so they've mirrored that fashion and music thing pretty well. I mean, we've been to Paris Fashion Week quite a lot and I feel like Paris more than anyone else kind of do it very well with their sort of after parties and just sort of like bringing those same elements into the show and like then using that music for their videos and their PR campaigns and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying, I think it might have been Bauman that did something with, was it with Migos that they did when they did a fashion show? And I think they went on to do like a, a whole like video shoot afterwards. And I thought that was just fun. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Not taking things too seriously and like bridging those gaps and like making the, all these different cultures feel like they're a part of it. Do you know what I mean? Like Undercover did a show where they had a whole ballet and theatrics and all these kind of things. And like they do a really good job about like bridging music and fashion together. He's got a whole section called Undercover Records as well. They put out like random 12 inches. Rick Owen's the same. Like he always has a live music element at his shows. And so a lot of brands I feel like have got it right. And I feel like, again, if you just stick to the sort of DNA of what your brand is, there's always music that you could find to go alongside that. And what have some been some of your favourite projects that you've been a part of? And what business advice do you think you could share of what you've learned? working within those projects um well as far as projects i think deviation was like one of my babies that i loved and just doing that was always amazing i feel like a lot of the interviews that i did for id at the time just because it's my first job and just like getting those opportunities at such a young age to do interviews with like supermodels and stuff and like you know accompanying like people on photo shoots and like meeting Pat McGrath and Edward Enfall and Simon Foxton and all these people that were essentially my heroes and just like being their colleague was kind of crazy and I guess same with Supreme like Angelo big up him our good friend mm. the one that sort of like brought me in Supreme and like working with him on all these different projects and like opening stores and like doing video shoots and like just being part of that and seeing how all those mechanics work I love I mean I, I always love to learn and that's the one thing that I would definitely have as advice is always always never be afraid of learning like don't be afraid of learning if you don't know something ask someone or read something it's really that simple research all the time even if you just think you're flicking around on in social media is like go outside of your remit do you know what i mean look a little mm. bit that you look into see what your friends are up to which is really important i use my friends quite a lot to like be inspired i speak to you all the time about what you're into <laughs> yeah. all the time too much sometimes <laughs> exchanging information with people and as far as like career I mean again in terms of communications the thing that I love and I've always been drawn to is the narrative and telling stories and so with your brand with your company with your product it all begins with what is this you know like in journalism it was the first thing that I learned was like who what when 
why, how, and which, if you can answer those three things with one sentence, then you're got, you're absolutely golden. So if you know, if you can summarize what your brand is in a sentence, you're good to go. Like that's what people really need to know when they ask you, what is it? You need to be able to explain very succinctly. And that's not easy, but you definitely have to sit with it until you get to that point. So research, narrative, and in terms of marketing and strategy, that is you just being able to really explain your thinking to someone else. And again, that takes a lot of sitting down and thinking and explaining and like talking to your friends about whether it makes sense or not. And then, you know, there's so many courses and so much advice out there that you can get for free to be honest with you. Um, that I would suggest other people look into. Like Google have a lot of really amazing, like short courses and like Central St. Martins and, you know, University of London and all these magazines now have a lot of different mentorship schemes that even if you just research what they're up to, you can gain a lot of insight. And internship, internship, intern, intern, intern with everyone and anyone that you're interested with. Well, I touched on internships um, on an episode that I did with Tony, who was the editor at Wonderland magazine, because she said something similar. But I feel like do you, for me, when I look at the newer generation, I think there's less patience there now to intern the way that they used to. And also, I feel like there's been an abuse of interns over the years. So some people are not as willing or, or willing to, one, willing to work for free, but over long periods of time without being paid. Do you still feel like there's an actual use of interns? And do you still feel like you can learn as much interning as you did before? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, for me, and this is pretty controversial, but, you know, a lot of people, once I joined the industry, I realised, you know, a lot of people started much younger than me. I thought I was young when I started. Do you know what I mean? I was 18 when I got my first internship. But by the time I finished uni, I was 21. And that's when I was able to get my first job. So when I was 21, there were people that had been in the industry since 16 that didn't use the formal education route. Do you know what I mean? There's so many people in fashion that don't need to be or aren't formally educated because they learn from experience. And so for a lot of people that feel a lot of pressure to like, you know, go to university or don't want to go to university, there's different routes that you can take. There's vocational routes. You know, people, again, by the time I was 21, I had my experience from my route of like going to education. There were people that were in the industry that had four years on top of me because without experience, you can't get a job. That's the truth. And so interning has always been a good way to do it. And honestly, learn the stuff that I learned as an intern has been invaluable to this day, to be honest with you. So for you, it's beneficial. If you're thinking about interning, it's worth it. And, you know, you've got to put the work in. This is the thing. None of us, everybody across the board, everyone you've spoken to, we would not be here without hard work. That's the thing I think loads of people forget. Like, you know, I've been in this, been doing this for 12 to 15 years now, if you will which is a long time, which is nearly half my life. And it's only now that I feel like I'm an expert at what I do. Mm. Yeah, because I feel like with social media now, it, it can, and that's why I really thought it was important to really understand the business and speak to people who are kind of pioneering in the fields because I think that social media always makes it look like, just shows you highlights, but also doesn't necessarily show the work that goes into things. So for example, like people won't even understand what could, what comms have had to go into that new product that you're going to launch. People just see the new product think, oh, that looks sick. Or, oh my God, Supreme have done this collaboration or they've got Jim Jones in this campaign. Or, but there's a lot of work that usually goes behind the scenes into that and I feel like sometimes with social media we don't always get to understand the work that the work ethic is not showing well maybe there'll be a day that Instagram can add a work ethics tab and you can see the gist that goes into the highlights of what we're posting on that platform yeah. <laughs> I mean for me I've been someone that's always been very you know I've, been, I've always been very comfortable working in the background do you know what I mean I've always said like the work can speak for itself because it's not about me, do you know what I mean? I don't need it to be about me um, because that's just not what I'm interested in. That's just a personal choice. And so there's so many jobs in the background that you can do. You don't always have to be the designer. You don't always have to be the talent. You don't always have to be the stylist. You don't always have to be the influencer. There's managers, there's agents, there's production people, there's art directors, there's journalists. There's, there's so many different things and so many different amazing jobs that you can do behind the scenes in fashion that are just as important, just as vital 
and honestly, just as fun, to be honest with you. I've been able to maneuver by not being in, in, in the forefront, to be honest with you. It's given me a lot of freedom personally. So with comms, communication and PR, what are some of the other jobs that support, that you have to lean on to support? Because you've touched on upon it, again, with maybe some editors in magazines. But what are some of the other jobs that feed into your role? Or who are other people that you have to work alongside to be able to amplify and do your job the best that you can? Well, in terms of PR, which is public relations, that's all about relationships. That's about having a lot of, making a lot of time to make sure that you know who the editors are, who the stylists are, and building like, you know, authentic relationships with them. You know, a lot of this industry is an exchange, but I'm happy to say that a lot of people that I know at this point are also, you know, there's, a, there's also a friendship. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes that can blur work, but it also makes the work much easier because this is supposed to be fun. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, thing to work in this industry and make money from it and have a career from it you know we're not working we're not doing the same jobs that our parents were doing so that's something that I really don't take for granted do you know what I mean but PR is definitely about relationships and making time for that and knowing people and stylists and art directors and building out so when you if you've got a job on you can call your team straight away you know who all the right people are and it's about that investment and I think that's the thing that a lot of people think is easy and it isn't it isn't it isn't easy to maintain relationships all the time especially when they're you know scattered across the globe or whatever else when it comes to communication again it's about being clear it's about having a narrative and like you said comms is across everything it's like the silent thing that people forget about but it's the most vital thing if you can't explain what you're doing or what's going on then no one's paying any interest it goes over then why am I spending my coins on those shoes if I don't know what the meaning of it is? Exactly. <laughs> why would you be invested in it if you don't know what, where, where it comes from, what the narrative is? Mm, interesting. So what are some of the advice that you would give to anyone who's thinking about getting into, you know, PR and communication into this area of work? What tips have you got for them? I would definitely say writing is a big skill that you need to have. And so if you're not good at that, don't be afraid either. There's so many different ways around that. There's diction if you're not happy with writing, but you know, that's something that you should definitely look into. And also reading as well is fundamental. Reading from different sources as well. Read for, reading from writers that you like, reading from writers that you don't like, because you need to be objective essentially. Mm. Most of the time, I'm, you know, I'm not telling my own story. This is not about me. I'm telling someone else's story. So I need to be able to learn how to do that. And the best thing to do is to research. Do you know what I mean? So I would say those are the, those are the fundamentals I think you need to have if you're into comms. And also, of course, you know, I did say that, you know, education is not always the best route for people, but there are so many, again, different short courses that you can take just looking into you know, what might suit you, what area might suit you, you know, there's comms for everything. Do you know what I mean? There's fashion, there's media, there's music. But if you do one overall thing or look into one overall aspect, you can delve into whatever you're interested in really easily. And YouTube, honestly, there's so many people talking on YouTube about comms and how to speak better yourself and how to tell stories. So just use every resource that's around you, podcasts, Audible, all those things. So I want to get in a little bit about self-confidence because being able to be a great communicator, you always have to work on yourself and your self-esteem. What um, what activities do you do to kind of make yourself feel good? Exercise has been a recent sort of rediscovery. I used to go running quite a lot, as you know, um, and that has kind of really helped make me feel better, just like doing something for me. Also, I have a bath every night without fail. That's like my me time, my me thing. That's when I think, that's when I lock off from everything. So definitely making time for yourself, I think helps with self-confidence. Um, and also again, just speaking out, you know, that's something that I've had to learn along the way. Do you know what I mean? I'm quite a quiet person. I'm definitely more of an observer. Um, but just speaking out and like sharing thoughts with people is something that put your confidence up as well. When you're in your own head all the time, you're not that kind to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Only you only mm. use your worst flaws. It's not a reflection of how other people see you on the outside. So just spending time like thinking about, you know, the stuff that you're into and the stuff that you love and following those things. Like have passions. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, again, in this time I've rediscovered the, how much I love art and like going to galleries and exhibitions and like now they're open. I'm looking into like making appointments and like spending time and just like being inspired and getting inspired 
you have to, you have to take time outside of work. That's the one thing that I've learned as I've got older, you know, before I'd say the work was a lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? Especially when you're at a magazine, it's a lifestyle job. I'm sure mm. if you have a brand at times, it can feel like this is a lifestyle. Like, you know, you have to be on all the time. If you be All the time. So now I'm learning to just like separate the two. When do you feel the most comfortable in your own skin, Zena? When a good product has come together. When I put all my <laughs> eggs and sweat into one basket and I'm like, oh my God, that was sick. And I know that might sound really sad, but you know, again, if it was the club night as well, the end of a club night when it's 6am and you're like, that was amazing. Do you know what I mean? People, you know, you made the right choices with who you booked or the right people came through. Like I take a lot of satisfaction in that and also see my friends win. Mm. That's what makes me feel really fucking good. I've always been about other people. Maybe that's being the third child. You don't need to get into the psychology, but like seeing other people around me win has always made me feel like really fucking good. And yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. And how do you kind of make sure that you're always surrounding yourself with people who encourage you? Because even though you want to see your friends win, there's a lot of us that work in fashion and entertainment and a lot of it sometimes can be very surface level. And we just touched upon it earlier, but can be optics. Um, How do you kind of make sure that you're surrounding yourself with the good energy and the good vibes that you need to keep encouraged? Well, you need to, again, I think when it comes to like friends and especially friends in the industry, you need to have something that, um, that you get along with outside of the work situation. So, I mean, there's definitely work friends and there's definitely friends that are, you know, your people, if you will. And I guess with your people, you know, there's a lot of comp- competition in this industry. That's like without a doubt. They're like people pit themselves up against each other all the time. People compare themselves to each other all the time. And so you need to avoid those people, essentially. That's, that's the absolute truth. Like you stay away from that kind of energy and you just make sure that you kind of like stay focused in your words and sort of ignore all of the bullshit. That's the only way to survive. You can't, you know, what other people think of you is none of your business. That's one of my favourite sayings. It's none of your business. And so to keep yourself surrounded with good people is like making sure that you're, you know, that you have a level of respect for each other as well. You heard it here. You need to stay focused. When I'm saying it, you think it's a joke. You think it's joke time. It's focusing time. Yeah, you have to be focused. (laughs) This is, you know, this whole industry is a lot of fantasy and a lot of, you know, fairy tale. And so to not sort of get burnt by it, if you will, you need to, you know, you need to know what you're, what you're involved in and what you're up against. And so you need to be around you at all times to protect yourself. Seeing seeing you and seeing our friends like at Fashion Week is so nice. Do you know what I mean? Seeing familiar faces. But you know, the industry people are industry people for a reason. Like there's nothing wrong with that either. Like that's it's not a negative thing. It's just that the relationship is different. Mm. To respect it. Agreed. I feel like as long as like there's boundaries, there's respect for there's boundaries respect and also like like touching upon what you said earlier is in the sense of just like if you keep the good energy around you and align and, and create your alliances essentially. And I think that's one thing that we've learned as we've got a bit older. Like, and that's even for me speaking from personal perspective. When I was younger and I came into this industry, I thought everyone was my mate. Like I grew up on the estate, you play out with all your friends. Like I took that same mentality of just like raw, like okay, like there's friend, I, I, what friendships meant in industry was very different to what friendships meant to me growing up on ends. So like when I came into this industry, I had to quickly learn that when someone says they're your friend, there's levels to this gist. Yeah. There's really levels to this gist. And sometimes it is like a, a, a working relationship. It's a working friendship. So you guys coexist in a working capacity, but sometimes there are people that you're going to have expectations from and it works vice versa, but you need to understand who those people are because then you're not when they're disappointed you're not going to feel away and I feel like for me at the beginning of coming into the industry it was very difficult for me to find the, my stepping stone now I'm an A star student in it but it was difficult for me to find my stepping stone but I feel like now I've really found my tribe and they say that in it you find your tribe and you push with your tribe and I think for us like both of our relationship over time has really grown. Like we're both tall women. I remember when I launched GTYA, you were a massive supporter in the sense of that, like you understood the narrative that I was trying to push with the brand and you were always, I would always 
message Zainab and be like, Zainz, can you just check over this um, this statement that I want to make or check over this press release to make sure that it's well executed and you'd always support and help me. So I definitely want to touch again on like having that organic network of people that can really encourage you and boost you up, but also build with your tribe, you know, lean on each other and don't be afraid to kind of ask for support. And I love what you said earlier about if you don't know, ask, because I think sometimes we're kind of put in this position where it's not okay to ask, whereas people just try to bluff their way through without knowing. Whereas actually, if you just ask, there'll be loads of people who are more than helpful to go through it and explain it to you. So I definitely feel like that was a massive thing that you touched upon earlier. Yeah. And I guess my last thing is good, I was going to say is mentor. Have a mentor if you can. That is always... Uh, mentorship is key, sis. Mentorship is key. is key. I found mentors along the way that weren't traditional mentors, but people that I could look up to and speak to and all those kind of things. And that was really, really helpful because like I said, I didn't know. So you got to ask questions. So try and find yourself a mentor and people are way more open to being mentors than you think. So again, don't be afraid to ask. It's way easier now. You can just slide into the DM. Exactly. That's what it's there for. What is it there for? <laughs> so what's next, Jamma? Let's round it up. What's next? Well, what's next is this, we're working on a small project, a little union thing to help the generation coming up. So there'll be more on that soon. Um, I'm working on stuff for the next season across the board, whether it's for the face, working on a new issue with Supreme. There'll be, you know, Fall Winter, I guess it's coming up soon as well. And just trying to keep afloat in this quarantine. That's See about is. Check in on your people, everyone. Make sure everyone's That's it. Good. This is it, though, sis. This is it. In the words of Irene, that's all we can do. We can be focused. We know it's time to be focused, but honestly, Zainab, I just wanted to say a big thank you. Um, and just for for social purposes, if anybody wanted to see your work on some of the brands that you work with, do you want to drop their apps in here? Yes, you can see my work at The Face magazine. You can see my work on my Instagram, which is Zane's, double Z-A-Y-S-S. And that's about it. I'm pretty low-key but my work is out there behind we the love that we love to see it sis a fellow black sister doing her thing um so if anybody has any questions feel free to slide up, slide up in Zainab's dm um and ask her anything about communications and pr but i just wanted to say honestly thank you like guys i'm going to be honest Zainab has come through for me on several occasions, especially when it comes to comms for TTYA and my press release and just helping me make sure that, like she said, I was able to communicate what the essence of my brand is about. So, you know, we just want to give Zainab a big da 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 because even though she's doing low-key here, to even work with some of the brands that she's been able to, to work with and could, to communicate with might sound like a low a low key deal here, but it actually is a really big deal, especially for someone to for a woman of colour to be, you know, in those rooms and to be kind of at the forefront of leading some of those conversations. It's a struggle. So we salute Zainab, we root up for her and we we want to push and support her and move forward. So you know guys, that's another episode of TTYA Talks. Follow me at Irene TTYA across all socials. Like, love, share, subscribe, all of that good stuff. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, guys. Here are my tips for brand communication. Reading is fundamental. Read everything. Find out what the narrative is. Question how the story is being told. Secondly is research. Research everything. Research your favorite brands. Go to their about pages. Find out their stories. Look at how they're expressing themselves through their social media and through their websites. Thirdly is writing. You have to be able to write objectively and with opinion. Objectively is incredibly important as when you're working for a brand, you're telling someone else's story. And lastly, get very good at telling a narrative. Every story should be able to be summarized in a sentence.